Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Colonel Grant Newsham, USMC retired, a former U.S. Foreign Service officer, attorney, and author of the new book, When China Attacks, A Warning to America. And Colonel Newsham, welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. I want to start out with an interesting situation that I came across the other day as I was interviewing myself with a colleague who did not understand the threat of the Chinese Communist Party and just said, I'm just doubtful. I don't see what's the matter with them. So I'm going to start out by asking you for an elevator pitch on the dangers of the Chinese Communist Party for people like that who really have no idea. It's important to remember that China's objectives are to dominate the United States and ideally to destroy us. Uh, China sees us as the one country that can prevent their global domination. And that's their objective. Uh, It's not to sell us cheap products and make money. It is ultimately to destroy us. And they said that for the last 30 years. You just had to listen to them. But it's also important to remember that the Chinese concept of war is very different than ours. And they look at the shooting war as actually the last step, if it's even necessary. And instead, they are attacking us on a number of fronts, the economic front. Uh, You go to the... um, a part of most big and not so big American cities, and look where, look at the neighborhoods where there used to be sort of the working class people. Look at what sort of slums these have become absolute hellholes. Biological warfare, where well, we saw the effects of that with uh, the COVID pandemic. Look what it did to our society, our economy. Look what it did to us psychologically. Uh, chemical warfare, the, the fentanyl uh, scourge, which we're hearing all about, 99% of that comes from China. And last year, it killed 70,000 Americans of all types. So something from China killed 70,000 Americans. And that is five times more, at least, than were killed in 20 years of the war on terror, more than were killed in the entire Vietnam War. Uh, so there's cyber warfare, financial warfare, etc. So China is attacking us, weakening us, hollowing us out on a number of fronts. We have to start to see those as direct attacks on us. Carl Newsham, I want to go back to the Nixon era outreach to China, which at the time was lauded, you know, we can be friends with them, they'll become more like us, the world will be a better place because of it. Uh, Was that a a sincere approach at the beginning from your perspective? And was that fatally flawed? Oh, I think it was fatally flawed. Um, But that's my take. And that's because of the nature of a a communist regime, and a Chinese communist regime in particular. Uh, It simply had no intention, no interest in becoming just a a bigger version of Canada, but rather did want to build itself up, build up its military power, uh, and displace the United States. Mao Zedong talked about this uh, in the 40s and beyond. And this really shouldn't have been a surprise, but assuming, though, that it was sort of an 
well-intentioned uh, effort to split the Chinese from the Russians. And at that time, the Russians were seen as the bigger threat uh, to us. Um, there's a couple of things. One, I would suggest that actually the, instead of us begging the Chinese to have a relationship with us, at that time, the Chinese needed us far more than we needed them, and we should have had them come to us. Uh, but the second point is, was look at it as a, a science experiment with a hypothesis that over time, China can be brought onto our side, uh, be liberalized, become a, a friendlier country that understands the international rules and plays by them. I would suggest that it should not have taken 40 years to realize that the, the hypothesis of the science experiment was wrong. And we should have tried something else, come up with some other reasons uh, for that relationship uh, with China. And unfortunately, well, we sort of did. And that was to um, offer them really unrestrained economic financial support. And even Ronald Reagan handed over military technology to the Chinese. Ted torpedoes, very sensitive technology. The idea was to uh, do them a favor, they would reciprocate. But that is not how communist regimes work. And there, there simply is no example to suggest otherwise. Nixon was a long time ago. Um, there's a lot of things that have happened since then, but I think it was fundamentally flawed uh, in the approach. It was just not something the Chinese communists were interested in. Thinking more about the recent era, I'd love to talk a little bit about the Trump years and Trump's response to China, particularly the economic sanctions and other what I would call strong tactics for which he was criticized. Was he on the right track? Oh, definitely. Uh, in the years I've been watching this, and it's quite a while now, the Trump administration was the first one to stand up for American interests and to challenge the Chinese communists. The first one. It's amazing how much good work they did. And a lot of credit for that does go to the, uh, the advisors that he had around him who were handling uh, these matters. The guys like uh, Mike Pompeo, Matt Pottinger, Dave Stilwell, Miles Yu, Peter Navarro. The, the test of how successful they were is that the Chinese communists absolutely hated them and wanted them gone. Mm. And well, they got their wish. Uh, but it really is amazing just what the Trump administration did accomplish uh, towards China. But also it's important to remember that within the Trump administration, there was opposition to what uh, the people I just mentioned were trying to do. These were generally uh, represented by Secretary of Treasury Steve Mnuchin, uh, who you know represented a, a constituency, and it's a big, powerful one, Wall Street, the business class, uh, who didn't want to upset things with China. They just wanted to keep things going as they were so they could keep doing business with them. In Wall Street's case, pouring other people's money into China. So it was this huge fight, even within the administration. You know, don't even you know, don't think about outside the administration. So it's important to remember just how hard it is for any administration that wants to, to actually, would say, crack down on China or simply insist on reciprocity. Now, if we can't, if American companies or people can't do something in China, well, China isn't going to be able to do it here. And to say that reciprocity is a pretty good goal, guideline, but we've never used it. Uh, the Trump people did uh, start to employ it, but it really, you know, it was maybe two, two plus years that they had uh, to really uh, get on that uh, project. And it all came to a halt. I'd like to go more specifically now to the military threats and those related. I'd love to start with Taiwan because that seems to be in the crosshairs. Is the invasion or takeover of Taiwan imminent? Uh, I think it is, one way or the other. China would prefer to get it without fighting. 
and that means the, the subversion, the political warfare directed at Taiwan. And they've been just like they're doing to us on all of those fronts, psychological, economic, cyber, financial, and militarily, they're also trying to uh, scare the daylights out of Taiwan and threatening them and flying aircraft and uh, sailing ships all around the island. You know, really breathing threatenings and slaughter. And the idea is that in the next election that is coming up in Taiwan in early January 2024, if a uh, effectively a pro-China candidate wins, China, I think, likes its odds of being able to then use him to bring Taiwan, however unwillingly, into a sort of a, not a peaceful embrace, uh, but it's always done out of coercion. Uh, but they think they can bring get Taiwan without fighting. But if a candidate from the other party that does not want anything to do with Chinese domination, if they, if they win, I think at that point, the gloves will be off and China just might use uh, so-called kinetic force. And kinetic is the sort of the popular word these days for what used to be called a, a shooting war. Mm. You know, I think they would uh, have a go at Taiwan to solve, to um, take it. You know, it's a very attractive target for China from a military standpoint, strategic standpoint, but as much from a political, psychological standpoint, uh, so it's hugely attractive to the Chinese communists. To what extent, Colonel Newsham, is Taiwan able to defend itself or inflict great damage on China? I mean, they, they do have advanced armaments. Would they be able to use them? Uh, I think they could. What Taiwan and the Taiwan military need um, is some support. Uh, we have effectively isolated them for 40 years. Uh, just to give you an example of that, as far as I can tell, uh, in the last 40-plus years, America the military has done exactly two joint exercises with the Taiwan Armed Forces, mm. Taiwan military. And those were platoon-sized trainings, and that's about 40 people on each side. Uh, one was done in 2017 or so in Hawaii. Another one was done in 2021 or near Guam. And that's it. Not surprisingly, the Taiwan military has not developed the way it should, you know, owing to this lack of interaction. You think of a baseball team that never plays a game other than to you know, split up their team and have intra-squad games. That's not really how you improve. Um, but there's also a psychological aspect to all of this. And you know, if, you're, if your biggest ally, your best friend, supposedly, won't play with you, won't train with you, you might have some doubts about American support. And it is this isolation that America has imposed on Taiwan militarily and uh, to a degree economically, less so economically, but we've not been as helpful there as we could be, that isolation is really what has weakened Taiwan's ability to defend. Uh, It isn't. So the solution to that is pretty easy. You actually start treating them like friends and deal with them. But Taiwan's military actually is very good. You know, I mean, when you consider the, the lack of support it has gotten. Uh, it hasn't been properly funded uh, domestically. Uh, it has manpower shortages and the living conditions aren't great if you're in the military. Uh, there's no GI Bill or decent pension. But it's amazing how good the Taiwan military is. And with some help and not least moral support from the Americans, uh, they could make uh, Taiwan a very tough nut to crack. Uh, despite the fact China is only 90 miles away, it does have a a very strong, sort of, um, almost overwhelming military superiority over Taiwan. But nonetheless, Taiwan can fight back and with the right help, with the right weapons, uh, and with the right I would say, concept of operations uh, by Taiwan and by its, its friends, 
it could make life so difficult for the Chinese that Xi Jinping just might say, well, not today. Uh, but it will be necessary to give Taiwan this proper support and to be serious about about defending them. And you've got to be able to demonstrate that to so that China believes it. Uh, so I hear all the time, though, that, oh, you, Taiwan is indes- indefensible, as if it's you know, uh, one of the commandments chiseled in rock on uh, Mount Sinai. But if you think about it, I'll say if you arm and equip Taiwan the right way, give them the right support and help, both military and political, and if you spread the battlefield. Uh, and also, it really depends on exports to earn essential foreign currency. If you, as I say, spread the battlefield, you know, cut China's lines of communications, uh, the sea lanes the, and even the air, air lanes, uh, that it requires to, in order to, to have its economy run and also to build up its military um, that it can very easily be targeted, at least for the next few years. If you contain the fight to just around Taiwan, yes, China has a, probably a, an advantage. But if you, as I said, expand the battlefield, um, that gives us a much better shot. Uh, plus, if we're willing to get in all in, we could probably sink Chinese Navy in a couple afternoons. Uh, but we do have to rearm ourselves and be serious about it. So the point of that is that Taiwan is, in fact, defensible. Uh, it's no more indefensible than West Germany was during the Cold War, uh, right next to the to East Germany and the, with Russian troops. And yet nobody was saying West Germany can't be defended, give it up to the Russians. Uh, but you hear that with Taiwan. And it's interesting how uh, I'd say Chinese psychological warfare has been so effective uh, to have that line about Taiwan's indefensibility almost being a mantra. But when you think about it, uh, the Taiwanese and the free world's odds are actually pretty good. I um, also would note that it's important to really make the, the thing personal for China's uh, leadership, because these guys, most of them, uh, have put a huge chunk of their money out of China, illegally, of course, because they don't have the confidence in the future of their system. Uh, they put it in places like America, Canada, Australia, England. Uh, ironically, their main enemies, plus the, the real uh, achievement for them, is getting a, a relative with a green card who has residence rights in the United States or some free country. Uh, so what you do is you, one, start seizing their bank accounts, canceling green cards, and expose their overseas holdings, their corruption. You're only allowed, for example, to export $50,000 a year from uh, from the PRC, so have some of these guys explain in public, well, how did you buy that $2 million house in Hancock Park in Los Angeles? And that is where there is a huge vulnerability uh, for them. So when you think about defending Taiwan, it's not just a military question, uh, but also say there's a political uh, aspect to all of this. There's non-military pressure that can be applied on China. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues. Our guest is Colonel Grant Newsham in just a moment. Associated Press award-winning journalist, Rob Schilling. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. 
Border Hawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at News on Twitter. We continue with Colonel Grant Newsham, uh, the author of the new book, When China Attacks, A Warning to America, here on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. I want to go now to economic threats, and I want to start with the supply chain reliance that we have that was exposed very broadly by the COVID situation. Are we too dependent on China? And if so, are we making any progress on changing that? Um, yes, we're much too dependent on it. It's not just pharmaceuticals. Uh, and in fact, um, during the uh, the COVID assault, uh, one of the a Chinese commentators said, you know, if America doesn't cooperate with us, we will just withhold the drugs and let America, quote, drown in a sea of COVID, unquote. So they know how useful this dependency is. There's also military hardware and uh, materials that uh, we import from China, batteries, uh, magnets, things you need to make explosives. You know, for some reason, we think it's okay to source these from the country that's avowed objective is to destroy us. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, just go down the industry and the this dependency on uh, the Chinese supply chains is potentially fatal. It's a huge weapon that the Chinese have against us and are using, you know, are actually or uh, using are using it against us either for real or uh, implicitly. But when you can get your enemy dependent on you uh, economically, that is is really good. There is a recognition of the problem here. And I think even Department of Defense uh, has pretty much woken up. And on Capitol Hill, there's more awareness of it than there's ever been. To actually do something about this and other problems, that's always the challenge. Um, we don't turn on a dime. And it, it sometimes takes more time than it should. So I don't know exactly when that will happen. Uh, I know that there are some companies that are sort of waking up to the threats of being in the Chinese market uh, and are quietly uh, sort of shifting their operations, production uh, elsewhere. But I wouldn't call it a, a sea change or a groundswell uh, just yet. But the problem is finally recognized. If you, if you had said even 10 years ago, even five years ago, that this was unhealthy, that we're dangerous, that we shouldn't do it, uh, you would have been looked at like you were a total moron. Uh, you just couldn't get any traction for that very commonsensical observation uh, that you don't want people who want to destroy you uh, able to sort of turn off the tap. Things have changed, but have they changed fast enough? Well, that kind of probably not, but that there is some modest grounds for optimism here, just because there is a recognition uh, of the problem. Are there legislative solutions? Is something like the CHIPS Act a worthwhile endeavor, or was that just window dressing? I think it's actually pretty good. You know, of course, like any bill that comes out of Congress, they're never quite as sort of hard-hitting as you'd mm. think. There's always a lot of compromises, but I think it is a, I think it's a good effort, and I think the, uh, the administration deserves credit for that. Sometimes even just the government showing that it has an interest in an issue and will provide support, that can help shape uh, business thinking. Uh, but while that's a good idea, you know, I, I think the, the CHIPS Act is good. 
Uh, at the same time, the Biden administration seems to have given approval for Chinese companies to relist or, and keep or to continue their listings on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, the Americans fell for a, a, merely a bogus promise by the Chinese that they would allow our auditors to really examine the, uh, the books of the companies that want to list. It's absolutely bogus. I don't know why anyone would believe it other than uh, they're getting money indirectly or one way or the other from the Chinese. But so we, it, well, we've, cut, we've done something good with the CHIPS Act. At the same time, uh, we've allowed Chinese companies, and when I say Chinese companies, they always track back to the Chinese government. Uh, there is no such thing as a private company as we think of it. Uh, it just doesn't exist. But you have people claiming it does, and it's a bit like the, you know, the debate over how many angels can dance on a pinhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, it, it's ridiculous. But what the Chinese do by listing on these exchanges, it gives them, it allows them to raise capital. And this is important. It doesn't get mentioned enough. The capital is convertible currency, U.S. dollars. And why this is so important is because the Chinese currency is not freely convertible. That means if, if you go overseas with it, nobody will accept it hardly. So think of it. That's like you know, going to a school carnival and you buy tickets that allow you to go on the rides and you know, buy stuff. And it works really well at the school, but go off campus and go to 7-Eleven and they will ask for dollars. That's the problem that the Chinese communists have. It's this lack of foreign exchange. So anything they want from overseas, for example, buying Australian iron ore to make steel with which they build naval ships, uh, to buy uh, technology, to buy companies for their, the stuff they have, to put it simply, they have to pay in dollars or something like that. And here we are allowing them to get the money they use to build themselves up uh, to buy the things they need to be able to to defeat us. And that doesn't make sense. So I think the Biden administration's China policy uh, is very often, it seems schizophrenic. Uh, they're not the first ones, but it's, it's hard to tell exactly what it thinks of China. Generally speaking, when, when China looks at it, they have a feeling that, well, we're not all that serious. Uh, that with enough pressure, with enough persuasion from their friends in the United States, of whom there are many, Wall Street, the business class, they think the Americans will always back down or really won't really hurt uh, what hurt China or what, and what it's trying to do. So I'm just very skeptical about sort of what this administration uh, has in mind for China and what the policy really is. And I would note, I would, it's a, sort of not a remote example, but it's an interesting one. Um, in the, the Solomon Islands, uh, where uh, the Americans won the Battle of Guadalcanal, uh, in 1942-43, which everyone remembers, the Chinese have made very serious inroads, strong inroads with the uh, the prime minister, and they have really have the ability now to, and it'll come, to uh, install uh, the Chinese military in the Solomon Islands. It's key terrain. Uh, the governor of Solomon's main province, he spoke up about this and said, no, I don't want anything to do with the Chinese communist, Chinese investment in my province. Uh, because, you know, these people, they're atheists, you know, we're religious people, you know, we know what the Chinese are like, so it's not going to happen. You know, we know what happens when you let this investment in. The Chinese engineered a vote of no confidence against him by uh, spreading around huge amounts of money in the uh, prefectural parliament, provincial parliament. They, there was even, the amounts, the account numbers were even leaked, but they got this gentleman, Daniel Suidani, out of office. He would like to come to the United States. Mm. 
And, you know, this is a one guy who stood up against the Chinese and he wants and needs American help. He just needs some support. And he went to Fiji to get, try and get a visa. And the American embassy there denied it. You know, begging your pardon, what is wrong with us? How can we possibly expect to win? Or, or why would anyone who, you know, say who's out there on the front lines, who's trying to keep his people sort of clear of Chinese domination and he thinks, well, the Americans are really big and powerful and they support freedom, et cetera. Well, they're going to help me. Certainly they'll help me. Well, he goes to the embassy and they give him denied on his application. You know, I've been at this a long time and I'm reminded of what a, a young uh, Marine major, he was in Afghanistan. He contacted me and we were talking. He says, you know, sir, sometimes I think we want to lose. But if the, the one country that is the the beacon of liberty in the world, cannot see clear to support someone who has stood up for freedom, stood up against the Chinese, as we supposedly are serious now. Why would anyone else in that area or elsewhere that hears about it and the citizens there, why would they think the Americans are going to help them? Uh, and so that's, um, it, it may seem like, I say, a distant, remote example, uh, but it will ripple through the Pacific region and the leaders of other countries are watching and the citizenry, they're smarter than people give them credit for. They know what's happening as well. So that is something that it's not even an own goal. I think it was, boy, it, it's so strange that you almost think it was intentional. Colonel Newsham, is there any sign of optimism in all of this gloom? Because it's not a, a pretty picture that's being painted here. But do we have anything to hang on to? Oh, yeah, I think we do. I think we have an excellent hand to play. Well, One thing I'd point out is that people want to come live in the United States. They like what we have to offer. And freedom has always been something people want. And, you know, China does not have an illegal immigration problem. It doesn't have an immigration problem either because nobody wants to go live there. But that tells you that fundamentally what we have for all our problems, it's something that is immensely attractive uh, to people around the world. We need to start selling that. You know, we, we invented public relations, but we don't seem able to sell America. Uh, very well. We used to do it you know, during parts of the Cold War. We can do it again. Uh, but also, you know, remember what I mentioned about Chinese vulnerabilities, the dependence on, say, exports and the inflow of foreign capital and the convertible currency that comes from Wall Street or business class. If you cut that off or reduce it greatly, uh, the Chinese communists will have a very difficult time deciding if they want to build up a military that can defeat the United States or to give the, the 500 people, million people in their country that live on $5 a day a better life. Uh, those are huge vulnerabilities. Uh, their lack of adequate food supplies, energy supplies, those two area, you know, places where you, uh, they're weak and, and can be pressured. Additionally, the, the corruption that is just a thoroughgoing part of Chinese leadership uh, expose that and make sure everyone in China knows what's going on and uh, that's going to make all 1.4 billion Chinese people very unhappy. Additionally, human rights is something that is immensely sensitive in China to just hammer that home. The way we did with South Africa, the Chinese regime is as bad, it's much worse actually than what the South African apartheid regime was. Uh, but we don't ever mention that. Uh, embarrass American companies uh, who think it's okay to do business in a country without a proper legal system where a contract means exactly what the dictator says and where the government's stated objective is to you know, destroy foreign companies, take their technology and know-how, 
and replace them with Chinese ones. I'd like to see some state attorney generals going after the CEOs of some of these companies that think that this is okay. Go after them, the fraud, malfeasance. You know, there's, there's grounds you could do it. Uh, shareholder lawsuits against these kind of uh, executives would also be a good thing to do. And in militarily, if we you know, realize that the only purpose of our military is to defeat our enemies and destroy them if necessary and to make it clear that that's what will happen, uh, we need to remember that uh, the U.S. military is not a social experimentation organization. Uh, and we need to get back to that. You know, I'd like to see a, a Nimitz and a Halsey and Gavin, these kind of guys, uh, come back. You know, I'm not so sure where they are, but I think they're in the service. We just need to find them. So it's this combination of things. And you notice that many of these have nothing to do with shooting, with the military part. So it's a broad, uh, sort of a broad, uh, pressuring on a broad front. And you know, at the end of the day, we are resilient. If once we wake up and realize the threat, and also realize that we just might lose if we don't uh, wake up. And it's not helpful either when Americans see themselves as rival tribes. That will destroy a country as sure as anything. And we've got to get over that somehow. How will that happen? I don't know. You know I'm not quite sure. I think it will take real pressure uh, to make Wall Street and the business class stop bolstering, stop propping up uh, the Chinese regime. And you know, we'll see how that goes. But there's an awareness of the problem, uh, but it's it's late in the day, and I think we still have time, but we've got a, say, a good hand to play if we decide to play it. Carol Newsham, if people would like to get a copy of your new book, When China Attacks, A Warning to America, tell us how we can do that. So, of course, online at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, and it, it's even um, in stores as well. Even Sam's Club picked it up. So it's uh, it's out there, and you know, I'd say I tried to write a story that you know, people would find informative, and I'll tell it in my own words. One way I've described it is, you know, I think a lot of people looked uh, up in the heavens a couple of months ago and saw the Chinese spy balloon and were wondering, well, what is that? You know, what, what's going on with China? Well, if, if you read the book, it will give you some idea of what's going on with China, how we got here, what the threats are, what to do about it. So hopefully say, some people will enjoy it. It's something we all need to be aware of. Colonel Grant Newsham, thank you so much for writing this book and for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.